Wow. How many of you remember that from the Breathing Room series? And we're hoping to never see it again. <laughs> I had to bring it back for this week as we uh, are in a series called Life Apps. But uh, today's Life App uh, really relates to that. Now, if you're just jumping in with us, we've been in a series called Life Apps. And the point of Life Apps is that the idea behind this whole walk with Jesus is not just that we get head knowledge, but that it actually translates into the things that we do. And uh, what happened is about 2,000 years ago, James, one of the very first pastors of a church environment, ran into this problem that has been plaguing church folks ever since. And here's kind of how it looks. He would get together with groups of believers just like this, and they dive in to the truth of God and into his word. And then people would leave and they would feel like, yeah, that was good. I did my relationship with Jesus thing well this week. And then they'd go home and nothing would be different in their lives. And so James writes this letter. And in the middle of this letter, uh, or in the beginning of this letter, chapter one, verse 22, he says, listen, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And for 2,000 years, we've been struggling to get that right. And so Life Apps is all about this idea that there are some incredible truths in the word of God, and they can literally change your life if you do them, if you do them. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness, and some of you are here for that Life App, and we talked about how forgiveness is something you have to actually do. It's a great in theory until we actually do it. And last week, we talked about biblical confession, biblical confession, and how confession that is genuine actually leads to genuine change. This week's Life App, I think, is a little bit frustrating. Just by the video, you could tell that it brings tension into us. But last year, we did that series, and it was called Breathing Room. And it all revolved around this idea that, that when your load exceeds your limit, you blow a fuse, right? Any electricians in here? Whenever you put too much strain on the circuit and you pass the limit, it'll blow. So we all need some margin between the load, the current pace that we're going at, and the limit where we break down. And that was kind of the point of that whole series. And today, we are going to talk very specifically about the idea of rest, the idea of rest. So everyone take a deep breath. Just rest for a second. Just enjoy the moment. Unless that's your kid up there, then you got to go and get him. You can't rest. <laughs> Here's the idea. We all have a limit. We all have a limit. I remember the first time that I really, really knew I had a limit. I had, a, I had moved to Springfield, Oregon to plant a church. And I had moved, because I'm a genius, um, in the middle of the worst financial crisis of my adult life. It was the end, the Christmas of December of 2008. And I had moved because I believed God was going to partner and we were going to plant a church. It was going to be awesome. And I got there in December of 2008, and I didn't have a place to live. Oh, I had a wife and one kid. 
And uh, we didn't have a place to live. So we found a place to live. That was awesome. It was uh, a disaster, but it was a place to live. And then I was just confident that God was gonna give us work and favor and all the things we needed to plant a church because, you know, why wouldn't he do all those things just how I want him to? So 10 months go by and I've been unemployed for 10 months. Now I haven't not worked since I was 11. I had a paper route at 11 and I always had something. And for 10 months, all through the beginning of 2009, could not get a job. I mean, any kind of job. You know how you start with uh, uh, looking through the classifieds, you're like, I'll take this job or this job or this job. Pretty soon it's like, please, can I have this job? I mean, I couldn't get on at Taco Bell. I could not get a job anywhere. My, my, my standard had just plummeted to, I just need to work. Finally, I got hired at the movie theater and I was an evening manager at the movie theater, right? So that was a fun job. I'm working 5.30 at night till close. Now, if you know anything about movie theaters, they close whenever the last movie ends. And so sometimes the last movie ends at like 11.30. Sometimes it ends at like two in the morning. It just closes whenever the last movie is done, right? Right after getting that job, I got another job through the Park and Rec District, and I was actually managing a performing arts theater. That was pretty fun. And that was early in the morning. So I was booking gigs for people to use this. It was kind of cool. And that was early in the morning. It was like eight to noon kind of a job. It was part-time, but I took it. Right after I got that job, I got another job at the Park and Rec District, and I became the middle school sports coordinator for our entire school district. And so I was overseeing all the middle school sports for our entire school district. Now, it was a brand new program, and they didn't fund it very well because at that point they were cutting funds for school district events and things like that, right? And so that... Uh, was from one o'clock to five or noon to five. So I went from no jobs to an eight to noon job, a one to five job, and then a 5.30 until whenever it's done job. And we were planting the church. And so services got going at about that time. And I launched the youth group on Wednesday night. And then I was preaching about half of the Sundays. Now, at one point I stopped and did the math. And I had realized that during the course of like a three week stretch, I had worked like an 80-hour week, an 84-hour week, and a 96-hour week, all in a row. And, you know, I mean, I'm human. So that means no problem. We just do it, right? <laughs> and I was just going, oh, and somehow, is my wife in here? Somehow we got pregnant during that time. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, she did our laundry together or something. Um, and so, so, so I had a, 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 a pregnant wife uh, at that moment. And, and as I was talking about this with Christine this week, she's like, you need to tell them it is by the grace of God that we stayed married, <laughs> that you stayed married. No, not we. She was very clear that you stayed married <laughs> during that time. But something happened. There was something building in me that couldn't let go of any of the things on the schedule. There was a fear in me that I couldn't say no. I couldn't quit any of those jobs. I was doing all of those jobs simultaneously because I had been through a season, come on now, where I didn't know how God was gonna provide. So I decided that it was on me. And I would just say yes to every single thing. And then something happened. I crashed and burned. I emotionally bottomed out. I physically couldn't do it. I started getting sick and my body started falling apart. And I can remember, and I'm not a crier, I can remember like with tears swelling in my eyes going, I'm gonna have to quit the movie theater. I can't be out till two o'clock in the morning every time sparkly vampire movies come on, <laughs> right? Like I can't do it anymore. I just can't. And I, I remember, I mean, and it was like emotional for me. Why? Because I had seen what it was like to not have. 
and I didn't want to ever be there again. And it was so hard for me to let go of anything, but I knew I was going to have to let go of that because I needed margins. I had a limit. And what was happening was I was losing my family and my mind. We all know that it's important to get rest. We know it in our heads. I don't think anyone argues that it's important to get rest. We know medically it's important. Doctors will tell you, you need how many hours of sleep? Eight, right? Guess how much Americans average? 6.9. 6.9 instead of eight. Now that's about 1.1 hours short per day. That's 401 hours per year of sleep that we don't get. That's almost 17 days of sleep that we miss that we miss by not getting enough sleep. So what happens to you when you go 17 days without sleep? You're not your best. I'm not my best. You're not your best. It was interesting because I was thinking about who gets impacted the most when we don't get sleep. It's not just us. It's the people who are closest to us who get impacted the most when we don't get enough rest. So there was a survey a Gallup survey, and they surveyed 1,000 kids, third grade through high school. And they asked them about their parents. And they said, if you could change one thing about your parents, what would you change? Now, they interviewed the parents also. They got about 600 sets of parents that they were able to interview in this. And you know what the parents said overwhelmingly? The parents said, we wish we had more time with our family and with our kids. You would think that the kids would say the same thing, but surprisingly, only 10% of the kids said that. Do you know what the kids overwhelmingly said about their parents? I wish my parent wasn't so tired, wasn't so grumpy, wasn't so burnt out, wasn't so frustrated. You see, the kids weren't looking for more time. They were looking for time with the you that's rested. They didn't need more of the you that they're getting. More of the you they're getting wasn't helpful. It didn't make the list only 10%. So we know physically that we need it. Some of you are giving me the stink eye right now. Whew, I like it. I'm pushing on something. That's good. They, it wasn't that they just needed more of you. They needed the better you. So we know medically it's important. We know physically it's important for us. We understand that in our family and in our closest relationships, it's important. But how about this? God really cares that you get enough rest. You believe me? Let's walk into the word of God a little bit. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me. I'm gonna start in Genesis, but I'm gonna put it on the screen because I'm gonna jump all over the place. I'm gonna go from Genesis 2, Exodus 20, and then we're gonna get to 1 Kings. God models it. You know this from the scriptures, you just don't wanna do it. Genesis chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he did what? Mm. Did he rest from some things? He rested from all his work. Why did he do that? It says, and God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, this is insane to me. The God of the universe, who could literally just speak and things were created, rested on the seventh day. Was God exhausted? 
I don't have a picture of an exhausted God. If God gets exhausted, I'm confused about this whole thing. But if you do the math, something important happened on day six. On day six, someone else came on the scene. Who got created on day six? You guys, us, Adam, the human race. So God creates the earth. He creates everything in it. He creates light and darkness, the stars, the fish, the creeping things, the, all of that. And on the sixth day, he creates Adam. And he says, hey, let me show you how to do this thing called exist on planet earth. And on the seventh day, he rests. Adam is in existence for exactly one day before he learns God's plan for him on the earth is for him to enjoy it. That's crazy. Now, some of you may say, well, when did Eve show up? Well, Adam had to get rested first. No, <laughs> we don't know exactly which day Eve came onto the scene. Maybe God was like, this is your only break, and then it's over. No. All right, all right. Let's talk about the Niners or something. Let's give me another direction. <laughs> I tease, I tease because I love, and it might be true. Um, <laughs> so God, right off the bat, come back to me, right off the bat says, this is the creation. This is the earth that I've made. This is the man that I breathed my soul, my spirit into. He has a soul. He's alive. And look at how I want you to exist on the earth. And he rests. Now, I love this picture of God resting. I got this picture back in the Breathing Room series, but I just love this picture. What could it have looked like for God to rest? And I just have a picture of God on a hammock between two mountains and his legs just hanging over the side and he's just chilling, enjoying his creation. And Adam's like, that's awesome. And Adam gets to name things. And he's like, hammock. You know, it's like, awesome. I don't know what the picture of that looks like. I just know God demonstrated what rest looks like right off the bat. Exodus chapter 20, you know this set of rules. Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Verse nine, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now this is incredibly powerful because who is he talking to? He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to the, the, the group of people who he's just brought out of slavery. And guess what you don't get when you're in slavery? A day off. Their entire existence has been get up, work, work, work for somebody else and try to stay alive. And God enters into this incredible deep relationship with them. And then he reiterates, this is how you experience my creation. Now there's another thing that happens here. They're wandering in the desert. They're not home. They don't have crops. They don't have any of the things that they would need. To not work for a whole day is really risky. To not gather, to not prepare, to not just somehow move out of the spot that they're at says, you're going to have to trust me enough to rest. See, resting is an issue of faith. So we understand that God not only models it and declares it. My favorite 
story in the Bible comes out of 1 Kings chapter 18. Everybody has favorites. I have a favorite. Elijah's my guy. My favorite story in the Bible is 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, that's chapter 19. We'll get there in just a second. In 1 Kings chapter 18, I have to just summarize for you what's going on. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah, see, here's what I love Elijah. Elijah's living in a time where Ahab has kind of been like, well, we're not going to do the God thing anymore. We're going to kind of merge with Baal and Ashtoreth and all these other kind of gods. And we're just kind of kind of live in this poly uh, kind of society. And we're just going to merge all these things together. And God's ticked. And Elijah says, you know what? Because of this kind of merging of cultures that you're doing and separating from trusting God, it's not going to rain here again until I say so. Now, I don't know about you, but of all the superpowers in the Bible, that's a pretty cool one, especially because I've lived in Eugene and I've lived here. So to be able to say, it is not going to rain again until I say so is an amazing, amazing thing. That's why Elijah's my man. He's awesome, right? So because that happens, a massive drought incurs. And for three years, there's no rain. So the point we pick up the story, three years, they're a desert kind of living people, no rain, the wells are drying up, there's no grass or anything green for the animals to eat. Things are getting dire. So Ahab's like, hey, someone find that rebel rouser, Elijah, and just kill him. And so Elijah's kind of hiding, he's on the run a little bit, but it's still not raining. He's like, uh-uh, it ain't gonna rain. So we have this picture in 1 Corinthians 8, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, 1 Kings 18, and Elijah shows back up. And all of these prophets that are standing for these false gods are there. And he proposes a contest. This is why I love Elijah so much. He's like, all right, let's just have it out. Your guys against me. And you know the story, some of you, I'll give you the short version of it, but it's awesome. Basically, he says, we're gonna get two bulls and we're gonna chop them up however you wanna chop them up. And then we're gonna pray and whatever God shows up and demonstrates by fire that they can consume the offering, that's the God who's real. Now, I don't know about the courage you gotta have to believe that God's gonna just do that. But once you start saying it's not gonna rain, it's not, it doesn't rain, you're kind of, you know, you're riding high. So here comes the battle. There's 450 prophets of Baal. And he goes, all right, you guys go first. So they get their offering out, they get their bull and they start chopping it up and they start, praying and dancing around and acting crazy, trying to initiate contact with their false God. And Elijah, I love this one, I love this so much. He starts talking trash. Did you know the people of God sometimes talk a little trash? I'm just saying, if you look in the scriptures time and time again, the people of God have no problem being like, what's up, right? And so here's Elijah and he's like, he's like, dude, you guys are dancing hard. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you gotta get a little louder. Maybe he's on vacation. You know, he might be out of town right now. I'm sorry, this is working out for you. And they're getting, they're dancing harder and harder and harder. They start cutting themselves and all this stuff. And at the end of all of that, nothing happens. And Elijah's like, ah, oh, jokers. So he gets to his offering and he prepares it and he digs a little trench around it. And he's like, you know what? This is too easy for God. Why don't you guys bring some water? Now remember, it hasn't rained for three years. They don't have a lot of water. It hasn't rained because he said it wasn't gonna rain. So not only is he the reason, not only is he blocking the rain, he's like, give me your reserve water so I can make this more difficult for my God. And they three times pour water on this offering. And Elijah prays 
and bam, fire from heaven comes down. It says it's so hot and consuming that it actually lifts up the water that has fallen into the trench. It consumes the offering and everyone's like, wow. Then Elijah's like, yeah, all those crazy guys that are all dancing around, just kill those guys. And they do, they just boom, they're gone, right? And so it's like this massive, incredible victory. Elijah's like, deal with that. And then we get to chapter 19, you turn the page and the story picks up and it says, now Ahab, verse one, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now I wonder if Jezebel knew that her name was gonna be like mud forever. It's such a burn, right? But Ahab tells Jezebel that, that this is awful, right? That, that what happened. In verse two, it says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods, lowercase g, deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like one of them. And Elijah said, guess what? Lightning bolt, tsh, you're gone. Well, no, that's not what happened. Something happens to Elijah. Are you kidding me? Mister, let me see you dance a little harder. Is that all you got? Maybe try the hokey pokey, right? He's just talking smack to 450 other prophets. But one person, come on now, says, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get you. And it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. You ever been just cruising along, doing everything you can, and then one voice from the wrong person comes in and it just crushes, it pops your bubble, it bursts your hope, it shrinks what God's called you to do down to something, and fear creeps in and doubt creeps in. It doesn't matter how high the high was before, that voice and that moment speaks into something in your heart and something just gives. It says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. There's gonna be a theme through Elijah's life. He's a runner and he's in good shape, but he, when he runs, like he goes. And it says, verse four, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, it says he came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I don't know how exhausted you've ever gotten. If you've ever hit this particular wall where you're just like, God, I give up, I'm out. I just don't even wanna do it anymore. He said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He said, then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. <laughs> I can remember I was, uh, I was meeting with someone. She was one of my staff working with youth and she was having a rough go with working with a kid and things didn't go well and she's crying, it was emotional and there was so much emotion, it was so hot, I didn't understand it. I'm like, why are you so emotional? What, what's going on here? And then I just stopped and I was like, are you just tired? Do you just need to go home and go to sleep? She was like, yeah, <laughs> I do. So let's try this again after you've gone and just got some sleep. You have been up at night worrying about this. You have been robbed of your rest. And it says, Elijah said, I've had enough, Lord. And then he just crashed and he went to sleep. All at once. I'd like to think all at once, probably let him sleep a little bit there. And it was more just like suddenly as opposed to immediately right after. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And this is my favorite little part of the whole story. It says, he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, he drank, and then he lay down again. If you're a highlighter, that's a fun little thing for you to highlight. 
you just have to understand sometimes the provision of God is just get up, eat, drink, and go back to bed. Sometimes the blessing of God, the angel didn't transport him miraculously to his next destination. He didn't shake him and say, you're not dead yet. We can squeeze a little more life out of you before you drop. He just said, get up, right? Why do we think that God wants that out of us? Why do we think that that's his plan? There's gotta be more he can shake out of me before I fall off the earth. Why do we think that that's somehow honorable? It says the angel showed up and just said, hey, drink, eat, and go back to bed. Elijah, you're tired. It's been a long three years. You've been in hiding. You've been running. You've been fighting battles for the Lord. You've been standing up for God. You've had courage. And I understand that you are gassed. So just get up, eat, drink, and go back to bed. Verse seven, it says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Now look at this, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into the cave and he spent the night. I want you to see this pattern. Sleep, eat, drink, sleep, eat, drink, go for a walk get out in nature, go to the mountain of God, go to the place where you connect with God, go to sleep. Do you see God's plan to replenish Elijah? Can you see the pattern that he built in there? He said, I get it, you're going hard. I get it, I want you to rest. I want you to feel provided for. I want you to have some recreational time and then I want you to spend some time with me. That was his plan. That was his plan. If you know the rest of the story, you know there's about to be an earthquake and fire and wind, and none of those things are the presence of the Lord until there's a whisper. And in the midst of that whisper, what do we learn? God is close. Because if I got a whisper, we gotta get close until we get in your bubble and we see how close I can get before you take a swing at me. All right, no. (laughs) Right? That's the power of a whisper. Sleep, eat, drink, sleep, eat, drink, exercise, have recreation, sleep, get close to God. It's the application. Jesus modeled this too. Let's fast forward. Now listen, I know the pushback. You don't understand how busy I am. You don't understand all the stuff I have going on. You don't understand. Okay, if you wake up and on your to-do list says, be the savior of the world, then you can talk to me about how busy you are. If that's not on your list, then you have to listen to what the scriptures say, all right? Here's what Jesus did. I'm just gonna take you on a quick run through. Mark chapter one. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Says he got up, he got quiet, he got alone, he got away from distraction, and he prayed. Simon and his companions went looking for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you! To which Jesus was like, So what? It's my time. No, I don't know, that's not what he said. But that's the implication. He wasn't worried about everyone looking for him. He knew he needed time in a solitary place. Mark chapter 3, I love this, verse 13. It says, He climbed a mountain. <laughs> 
Go, Jesus. And he invited those, listen, he wanted with him, and they climbed together. He didn't say, I'm climbing a mountain. Everyone can come. He didn't. He said, you know what? I like hanging out with you. Let's go climb a mountain. Let's go spend some time together. You charge my batteries. You replenish my soul. You bring energy and recreation to my life. You're not a drain on my life. So come with me up a mountain. Let's go have some recreational time and let's replenish. Let's replenish. What a powerful picture of Jesus. Mark chapter six. I'm just telling you the scripture. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and and taught. Then because so many were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Ever have that happen? It says, They didn't even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by boat themselves to a solitary place. Jesus saw that his disciples weren't doing what he modeled. They were going so busy, so fast, so hard that they couldn't eat. He's like, no, that's not how we do this, guys. Come with me to a quiet place. And let's eat and let's replenish. Mark 6, 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. It's over and over and over again in scripture, okay? I'm just taking you through Mark. There's all kinds of places. Jesus, time and time again, he woke up every day, savior of the world, busy. In three years of public ministry, time and time again, he articulates, you need to take a break. You need to rest. You need to honor God's plan for how he he designed you to need this. It's good to do it, but we don't want to do it. Why? Fear kicks in. I won't make it. I won't have enough. I won't get my stuff done. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. Fear kicks in. The enemy of rest is not busyness. It's fear. You are not too busy. Fear has a grip in your heart and in your life. So you will not take the time to rest because you're afraid that if you lay something down, come on now, God won't cover it. It won't get done. God doesn't care as much as you care. That's what you're saying. But we understand, we just talked about it, that we're at our best when we're rested. Wouldn't it be better if you were rested and at your best than if you were just running on fumes and in the room? You know who's not any use? Someone who's exhausted. I've met the grumpy, tired version of some of you. That person's lame. (laughs) They're not any help at all, right? I'd much rather hang with the rested version of you, less often if necessary. Your family feels the same way. God feels the same way. The kingdom doesn't need you to do more. It needs the best version of you. This is why people burn out. This is why marriages flame out. This is why families flame out. This is why people who are walking with Jesus flame out because they push at an unsustainable pace until they break and they think they're doing it for God. And they're not. It's fear. God says over and over again, I modeled rest. I commanded rest. My son modeled rest. He commanded rest. When you don't rest, it's not honorable. It's disobedient. It's disobedient. 
Why is it when we talk about our, uh, our, our faith disciplines, come on, church folks, we talk about reading the Bible. We talk about prayer. Come on, we don't wanna talk about it, but we talk about giving. We talk about serving. How far down the list before we talk about rest as a discipline of your faith, as a required discipline of following Jesus that you rest? How far down the list? I haven't heard it in a conversation. I've been doing this for a long time. I've only heard it in a conversation with people who have already crashed and burned. Come on. And are like, dude, you need to rest. And I'm like, dude, look at all my hair fell out because I didn't do it. I can't lie about this, right? I haven't done this well, but it's true. And we need to do it.